Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short term rentals and long term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Hey guys, welcome back to the short term show. We have Mr. Gerald Pitts on today. I keep trying to stop saying Mr. before everything. I'm going to be acutely hyper aware of that from now on. Anyway, uh, Gerald was able to quit his corporate job after two short term rentals. So we're going to hear his story today. Gerald, how's it going? It's going well. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you came from, how you got into real estate investing. Okay. Um, yeah, I, let's see, back in about 2015 or so, maybe a year before, um, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, it's probably a couple of years before that because it's sort of like planted a seed for a while. I didn't do anything about it um, for a while and then uh, got divorced. And um, I uh, had an opportunity. I had a house and um, had uh, uh, got a HELOC on that and um, looked into um, uh podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And so I was looking for something kind of new to listen to. And I checked out bigger pockets and um, just sort of discovered a whole new world where I um, started learning about real estate. And I was interested in buying hold, um, becoming a landlord, as I think I uh, heard you and Luke uh, describe recently, didn't even know it was called real estate investing. I was like, I think I'll try being a landlord. And I bought a little um, half of a duplex in East Nashville for $86,000, which is pretty funny. Now I think it like doubled in like three years or something crazy, but um, totally didn't know what I was doing. And, um, as I've heard said before, uh, real estate is very forgiving. I have found that to be very true in my experience. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. Joined like the local RIA. I'm a super extrovert, like until I get comfortable with people. So I just kind of found out that wasn't really my jam, but I, um, you know, I did, I did hook up, link up with a realtor there, a lender, um, tried looking for my next property, a lot of analysis, uh, paralysis, you know, I just for ever, everything, you know, there was something wrong with every property. Everything scared me, you know, um, any inspection, like all I could see was just everything that was wrong and going to go wrong and just, you know, kind of paralyzed me. And so, yeah, for years, I didn't do uh, a whole lot with it, but um, just kept learning, reading and was on the forums. And uh, yeah, Luke Carl kept banging the drum about uh, short term rentals, the Smoky Mountains area what he was making in cash flow. I learned that I could like 
I was so thrilled if I could cash flow, you know, $250 for, you know, long-term rental, maybe get a duplex one day, go up, you know, multifamily. And when he was talking about $1,000 cash flowing and one property, it just blew my mind. And so I, um, yeah, I wanted to start looking into that and, uh, yeah, um, got a call with you and the rest is history. I was kind of off to the, the races. That's sort of what brought me here today. Sorry. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I've got two dogs, so I totally get it. Um, yeah. <laughs> when Luke gets on something, he, he stays on it. So not <laughs> <Yeah>. surprised <laughs> to hear that. So how many years did you own that first half of that duplex before you made a move on another property? I mean, it was a while. I, I didn't really realize it, I think, until I was prepping for this show and doing some research. And I, I think it was like three years, which I can't believe now as fast as everything's been going, which we'll talk about. But yeah, um, that gap in between, uh, yeah, was like three uh, years. I uh, guess I was just doing a lot of learning, a lot of, a lot of analyzing. I don't recommend that, you know, but that's, that's what it was for me though, for sure. Totally understand. And 80 something thousand for a half a duplex in East Nashville, that is pennies. That Nashville market went nuts. That's so crazy yes. to hear that number about anything. In I was so, yeah, I was so lucky. Completely didn't know what I was doing. I think I probably only pulled the trigger on that because it hit that 1% rule. <laughs> Everybody talking about, I was like, I can get $850 in rent in uh, East Nashville for a little two bedroom, 750 square foot, half of a duplex. And I did. And it was right around that at the time. Now it's up to about 12. Uh, I think it's 1300. Yeah. You still have it. I still have it. Yeah. I've done a HELOC on that property and uh, that actually, yeah, that, that funded my first two short-term rentals. Gotcha. Our, so we, we kind of started the same way. Uh, we bought a single family long-term rental in Madison. So just one little mm. neighborhood further out from Nashville than East, yeah. than East Nashville is. And we paid 122 for that. And then last year we sold it and people, it's just crazy. The institutional buyers have moved into Nashville like crazy. So we listed mm -hmm. it to, we sold it last year in 1031 exchange and we listed it for 299 and we had a couple people poking around like uh, that wanted to buy it for a primary home. And they asked all these questions that made me feel like they probably weren't going to close. Like, well, will you give us a credit for this or that before they even actually offered? And then some mm -hmm. institutional buyer came in, offered 35000 over asking cash, not contingent on um, appraisal or inspection. And I'm looking around like, do they know we don't have any other offers on this? Because <laughs> so, uh, I, at first I was like, this is not real. There's no way this is real. So I went mm. on a bunch of Facebook groups of Nashville realtors and I said, Hey, have you, any of y'all done any, bought any deals with this, with this fund there? They've made me this offer that seems kind of too good to be true. And people were like, right. yeah, we have. Um, and it's been fine. So we took it and they paid 35,000 over asking cash with no inspection. And we had no other offers. So, 
I, I felt like I was totally looking a gift horse in the mouth, but it's just, it's not. Totally I understand. Good. I would have been the same way. I would have had doubts. It would have seemed too good to be true. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about your first short-term rental deal. So that one was in the Smokies, which is the, the move for a lot of Nashville folks. Cause it's right there. It's very comfortable three hours away. You feel like you can get there if you need to. So uh, tell us about that first STR deal. That's, I mean, that's a good point about it being close by and being able to get there. Like, um, now I don't think about that, but in the beginning it, it was helpful. You know, I talked to my girlfriend about doing this and the kind of money she can make and the markets. And I talk about markets like the Smoky mountains. I talk about, you know, Gulf shores and we're in Asheville, North Carolina. And she was like, well, I want to start with something nearby. And it, you know, makes me almost cringe. Cause I'm just like, we could do more, you know, we could do so much more. But, um, you know, I think if I think back to when, when I started, that was helpful that, uh, that was that close by. I feel like I could almost reach out and touch, you know, Knoxville from Nashville, from Nashville. And, um, yeah, I was familiar with it. I could get over there if, if I needed to, which is kind of funny now, you know, now it's about systems, but you know, it's that peace of mind when you're getting started that, um, Gatlinburg, it's funny. Like I just, I, I, we may have been talking about this, but, uh, it was so funny to me that, Smoky Mountains was the move, you know, that there was money there because I went there when I was a kid. I grew up going with like youth group from church or whatever. And it was, you know, and then you become a teenager and you're like too cool for Gallenberg. You know, it's really cheesy and touristy and all this stuff. And um, but, you know, you start digging into it and you're like, oh, OK, well, the park, you know, it's the, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Everybody wants to go there. You know, it's up to I think at the time when I was looking, it was like 12 million visitors a year. Um, I think it's up to 14 or whatever it is now. It's just getting more and more every year. Um, I really hooked into what um, you had told me. Um, you were my um, first realtor, you know, with with short-term rentals and, you know, you had talked about how the track record, you know, like, and how, and not just trying to, you weren't trying to sell, just sell me. I mean, you were talked about your experience and how you preferred uh, vacation markets with a lot of history of tourism and a lot of travelers going there every year versus like a Nashville where we were and like how it was, the laws were changing, uh, then, you know, it felt like every week or something, you know, and that they're, they're still kind of settling with what they're trying to do. And understandably, right. You have neighbors next door that has a, um, they don't want to live next to a bachelor party, you know, where people are just naked and jumping in the pool and everything. And, uh, they're trying to have a family in the backyard. So I understand that. So, yeah, I really got, you know, I saw, I, I finally got it. I was just like, okay. And then when I went to visit, I was like, this place is beautiful. I mean, like I went to the, you know, the park and everything and all this nature, it was and hiking. It was, um, it was gorgeous. It wasn't just the miracle mile and the, the, um, fudge and the funnel cakes and go-karts, which that stuff's great too. Whatever, you know, brings the people I'm, I'm happy there. Yeah, absolutely. And you make a really good point 
of it doesn't have to be nearby. So I think a lot of short-term rental investors make the mistake of thinking, oh, well, I need to be able to get there if something happens. Well, what's gonna happen that you need to insert yourself into? So let's break that down. So a pipe leaks, you don't need to be there for that. That's a phone call. The house is on fire. You also don't need to be there for that. Medical emergency, nope. Like you're actually by you being there and insurance and all that, you don't, you might accidentally say the wrong thing because you know you're not supposed to say, I'm sorry if you hit somebody in your car because that's admitting guilt. And so even mm. if it's not your fault, you could make a mistake with your words by being there. So, you know, just leave it mm. to the professionals, whether, you know, whether it's a medical emergency, EMS, fire, or if, you know, that's like a really extreme example, but there's just not really a situation where you would need to rush out to your property for any reason. So you kind of are limiting yourself by trying to say, oh, well, I need to be able to get there immediately. And, um, but you know, it is a very comfortable move. It is comforting to some people, especially Nashville folks. I mean, that was the first short-term rental I made too, when I lived in Nashville was in the Smokies. So, um, it's a really easy limiting belief to fall into that you, you need to do that. So let's talk about your first, your first short-term rental. How many bedrooms was it? How much did it, maybe not how much it cost because it was like years and years and years ago, but yeah, I think the numbers would still work today, but uh, yeah, tell, tell yeah. us the numbers on all of it. Cash on cash return. If you have it nearby, yeah. all of it. Yeah. Um, so the, you know, when I first had the consultant call with you, I was just like, look, I'm just trying to kind of do some research. I don't think I can do anything right now. You know, I only, I've got this HELOC. Um, I don't even think I said the whole amount because I didn't want to use the whole amount, right? I mean, I wanted, I was being very tiptoey and, you know, I wanted to use about half of it. And so I was just like, I, I don't really know that I can make a move right now, but, you know, maybe I can just have an information session with you. And you uh, taught me about the, uh, you said actually with the, um, I'm escaping me now, the loan, the um, vacation home loan. They, thank you. The vacation home, the second home loan, you can do 10% down. And I'd never heard of that. And uh, that made it possible. That made it within reach. And so, yeah, I don't, know that i should say the price that i bought it for it's well, i mean funny yeah now that- just say it because I mean, it, it was years yeah ago, we all like- know we, we all know what this is right i mean yeah it, it, just like the prices now will be laughable in three years but um yeah, yeah it was like a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar cabin and and, the, and this is for about the smallest you can do it's not a honeymoon thing but it's like a one bedroom with the one loft upstairs and you know and i had also had the call with luke which was really helpful where he walked me through how to, um, you know, do short term, uh, how to how to do self management, and he said, yeah, it's it's also fine to list that as a two bedroom, you know, on the platforms. You can as long as you explain like there's one one of the bedrooms is is open to the rest of the of the property, right? And so, um, yeah, the cash and cash, I mean. I don't know the exact number, but I feel like it's like infinite now. I mean, it was just like, I put that 25 K down with closing costs. Maybe it was, you know, 40, you know, 35, 40,000 all in. Um, it grossed 60 something the first year. And I think 80 something 
last year during COVID. Um, oh, I talk about that too, where, where I, so I bought um, the end of 2019 was when I first got into this. So I bought that one and I bought another one just like it, like as far as, uh, not format, but you know, bedrooms, like it was one bedroom downstairs, loft bedroom. That one, first one was in Pigeon Forge, second. When right before, like five minutes before COVID uh, hit, you know, the world. So it was late 2019. Huge mistake. <laughs> um, we lost you for just a second. Oh. So uh, we heard up until you bought your second one at the end, or you bought your first one at the end of 2019 okay. and your second one right before COVID hit the world. Okay. So that was right before, yeah, COVID hit the world and everything went crazy. And I thought, Oh my God, I've made a huge mistake. And, um, you know, just, just kept hanging on like everybody else. I looked at all my options. Um, the, pendulum swung back and everybody kind of came came back not only did it come back but people i think a lot of people discovered uh short-term rentals you know they were like there's a way we can get away and socially distance we can work from home now everybody's discovering work from home i was working from home and i was going out to the cabin when it was slow you know january february the times where, where it was dead and stuff but um yeah, so that was kind of the the start was those two for around the same price. I got the second one. It's done even better. Um, Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge, or I, I've found they do about the same numbers. Um, all other things being equal, but um, Gatlinburg uh, a little better. Yeah. Cool. So you have two in the Smokies. Do you have others in other places? What all's in your portfolio? I've got. Uh, three now in the smoky. So the first two paid for number three. Um, so they did crazy cash flow. Like we were talking about the gross numbers were amazing. The cash on cash was amazing. The appreciation was totally amazing and insane. I pulled out, um, gosh, after being in them for a year and a half, I think I pulled out, 80,000 each in cash out refi and uh, paid for number three, which is about twice the size. I call it a three bedroom, kind of the same deal where there's two proper bedrooms and then there's like a massive game room downstairs that I put queen over queen bunks in. And so that's like a bigger two slash three bedroom in uh, Severe Bowl. And then I'm uh, under contract hopefully closing um on one this week in gulf shores with jonathan so i'm excited oh, amazing amazing yeah. and uh, like don't even say closing dates out loud anymore because oh, uh, appraisals are just so backed up everywhere that it is so like i don't even want to think about my closing date on anything because it will jinx it it will make sure that right. that appraiser does not get it done on time and you have to extend and then you're like <laughs> begging the listing side like please don't 
please agree to extend and it's just oh my god yeah yeah and i'm trying to i'm trying to remember that it's it's this way because it's so hot and it's this hot because this is a great idea you know (laughs) and this is a great investment and everybody wants in it and so yeah it's just kind of become sort of the new normal it can be a little crazy making but it is what it is The, the more i can just kind of roll with it the the better Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about, so you were able to reach financial independence after your second property. Tell us about that. Like, how did you decide, okay, this is making enough money that I can leave my corporate job. What about like, just tell us about that. How do you make that? Not very easily. I mean, it was scary, but I think that, um, you know, after, talking with other friends and, you know, whenever they'll mention salary or something, I think, uh, what benefited me was I never made a lot of money. <laughs> I, mean, I worked for the state. I worked for, <laughs> I worked for the department of mental health and substance abuse. It was a great job in a lot of ways, but, um, it didn't take long for me to replace that income and and then some with the short-term rentals. I mean, to this day, I still kind of pinch myself. I'm still like, I second guess it. I look back over the numbers and I'm just like, am I, is, am I being creative, you know, with the accounting or something? Because like, <laughs> but I, you know, when I, when I made that jump, I just, I finally, I think what helped me was like, I was like, Gerald, you've worked a job since you were 14 years old. You can always go work a job. You know, if it doesn't work out, you know, we can go back and and get a job and um, probably make more money than I did with the job I had before. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the biggest thing was that uh, I was making enough with the two properties. The third one was under contract and I was getting it ready. So I thought like, you know, if this just continues, I don't know, even half as well as it's going and I have another property, if if there's any more appreciation coming, which I'm probably assuming there is, then, um, you know, things just, you know, I sort of just ran the numbers and just projected as best I could down the line what it was still going to look like. And then I was probably just only going to grow more. Um I just decided to burn the boats. I, unfortunately, or fortunately, that is like the way I've kind of operated in the past. It, that's when I've made the most progress is when I just tried to leave myself as little choice as possible. And then you kind of have to figure out a way. I remember reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and him talking about. I can't remember exactly the situation, but he sort of like painted himself into a corner where he was going to have to pay the taxes on a property, but he was sort of in trouble. Like he wasn't going to have the money. So he's like, I've got X amount of months where I have to figure out how I'm going to fund X, Y, Z, whatever it was, some taxes or something. And that for whatever reason stuck with me. And, um, I, anyway, I try to challenge myself with, backing myself into corners where I have to make it work. 
I like the phrase, uh, maybe not so much backing myself into corners, but the phrase, mm-hmm. don't leave yourself a choice that you said. That's good. That's, That's better. Powerful. Yeah. I like that. I like yeah. that. Don't leave yourself any other options. Yeah. So let's talk about if you quit your job after the third, how are you financing this fourth one? There was still money um, from the first two and I sold my primary in Nashville. So when I decided to semi-retire, as it were, I wanted to be closer to my family, but not too close. So they're in um, Greenville, South Carolina. Yeah. So I decided, you know what? I'm moving to a new city. I don't know the neighborhoods. I'll just rent for the first year. And um, to sold my primary in Nashville, which again, uh, just crazy, crazy appreciation. I, I, I waited as long as I could on that. I was so enjoying the Nashville appreciation, but I just saw what it was doing in the Smokies. And I was like, it's at least going to appreciate as much over there. I'm just going to move my money over there. And if it even does what Nashville's doing, that's great. And I think it's proving to be appreciating a lot more even. So yeah, that's how I paid for that. Okay. And so what type of loan are you using on this fourth one or are you paying cash? DSCR loan um, for the fourth one. Yeah. Gotcha. DSCR loans are like, to me, that's one of the things that I'm most excited about in short term lately. So let me back up before I talk about those and say, I, my advice is to stay in your W-2 as long as you can to max mm-hmm. out as many conventional loans as possible because conv- there are never going to be better terms than a conventional loan. Yeah. They're always going to have the lowest interest rate. They're always going to have the best terms, but you have to show a W-2 or at least you know two years worth of 1099. I, so stay in whatever job you're in. If your goal is financial independence, stay there as long as you can to max out those conventional loans before you have to switch to other types of loans. So like I have 105 doors, obviously Luke and I are both out of conventional loans. So DSCR, if this had been around when I first started, Mm. when I was making 30 something thousand dollars a year and trying to buy uh, properties (laughs) on that salary, (laughs) uh, especially that 15% down product, like, If that had been around, I would have bought more properties because it was never finding the cash for a down payment that was the problem for me. Mm. It was my DTI. And so for those of you listening who don't know what a DSCR loan is, it's it's a portfolio loan works similar to like a commercial loan, but it's not technically commercial. And rather than basing rather than you being qualified for the loan off of your own income and debt, you are qualified for the loan based on what the property will make. So if the mortgage is going to be 2,500 a month, typically you just have to show that the property will make at least 2,500 a month to be approved, which granted you wouldn't be buying it if it wouldn't at least make the mortgage. So uh, it's a really great product because it doesn't take your DTI into account and that can be so limiting for some people. So it's really nice now that there is an option for people whose DTI might be a little tough. And, you know, maybe this property, the income that you're making from it will get your DTI where it needs to be to where you can go get another conventional. So when I see a lot of people who are like, oh, 
Uh, yeah, that D- DSCR product, yeah, whatever. It's got a the interest rate's much higher than a conventional. Well, no, duh. Yeah. Of course it is. Because they're giving you a loan on basically nothing. <laughs> nothing yeah. there. Nothing is guaranteeing it. Like the well, I think you personally guarantee it, but you're they're giving you they're a taking loan, a lot of risk. Yeah. Based on the idea of you telling them that you're gonna manage it well enough to cover the mortgage. Of course the interest rate is higher. <laughs> and it's still not Absolutely. even bad. It's like five percent right now or something. Uh, yeah. this is January twenty twenty two that we're recording this. So anyway. I think that's a great product and I'm a big fan of like trying to mix it up, but definitely guys, before you go run off and quit your job, uh, try to max out those, those loans. Because I mean, I, I too quit my corporate job after two short terms, but granted I was not making enough for it to really matter. But if you've got like a six figure gig, I would hang on to that and finance as many as you can while you still have that before I just see a lot of investors. Now I'm on a soapbox, um, sure. but I see a lot of investors who will buy one or two short-term rentals in a year, and they haven't even owned them a full year yet. Like they've, you know, they bought them in January or not January, like February or March, and they have haven't even owned it through a slow season yet. They only have owned it right. in the summer, and they run off and quit their job. And they're like, "Okay, I'm going to make a living on YouTube, teaching you guys how to do this." And I have I own two properties, and I haven't <laughs> even owned them for an entire year. Like, yeah, try not to do that, y'all. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I mean, I it was the uh, not the opposite of that, but I mean, yeah, I had gone through all of that. I had gone through a black swan event like COVID. You know, I was like. All right, how how much worse can it get? You know, I I'm I'm gonna give it a shot. You know, and and then we'll see. And and the interest rate, you know, it's you know five point eight or whatever it is. But you know, just run your numbers and see if it'll still work. And if it works, it you know it does. And also, like um, I saw someone say on Facebook, I think this morning, like don't you don't have to jump to the DSCR loan, you know, see it, make sure that, you know, you can still qualify for conventional or whatever, which I did. And there was just no doing that right now. But my plan is like you were saying is to get back up to the point uh, with DTI where I can get back in the game with conventional, but yeah, for now the numbers are still, there's just still so much margin in the, Oh, we lost you for just a second. Uh, we heard there's just so much margin in in this, and then we lost you for a sec. Oh, yeah. There's just still so much margin to be had in this asset class that, like, even almost 6, 6% loan, um, the numbers still work like crazy. It's still cash flows. It penciled out really well. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I... You really do. And somebody left a comment on my YouTube the other day that, complaining that I never tell people exact numbers on things. It, I always say it depends, but it literally does. You have to oh, run yeah. your numbers on a deal by deal basis. Uh, you know, and if if you're running numbers on a five hundred thousand dollar property or a property that's listed for five hundred and the numbers work up to 550, then you have plenty of room to make really aggressive offers. But if the numbers don't work at like 495, then, you know, maybe wait till the next one. So it really does. You have to run the numbers based on each scenario. There's no like, 
across the board. Oh, well, you know, this property was $100,000 cheaper three years ago. So now it's not a good deal. Now the numbers don't work. Well, that's not necessarily true. You have to run it based on what you're able to get it for, not just say, oh, it doesn't work because somebody else paid less for it three years ago. No. Yeah. I hear that all the time. I mean, it comes up in our mastermind probably like every week or every month that uh, we meet, there's somebody talking about like, you know, it, uh, now I'm like making, I, I hope, I hope my, if my friend's listening, <laughs> he's not mad, but you know, I understand. I, I actually do the same thing. You know, I, I see what it costs, you know, back then. So I, I don't look anymore. You know, I do my best to just not even, it just doesn't matter. Like you can't take it personally. You can't take it seriously. Like it's just value. It's completely randomly assigned by like what, you know, people will pay for something. And so, yes, what it was two years ago is crazy, but I, I really try to zoom out, you know, and see the 30,000 foot view and just go like, man, in like 20 years, you know, you're, you're going to be laughing that you were worried about 6% interest and, you know, something costing this many hundreds of thousands. It's, it's also relative. It's totally about cash on cash for me. Like however much, however well I can do with the capital that I have. Yeah. You just, I can't find a a higher or better use for my money right now for the little bit of work that's required, you know? Yeah. And it is a little bit of work. You're managing your systems, but it's certainly not like, work like sitting in a desk doing engineering work all day. So Oh yeah. Does not compare. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. We are coming to the last three questions that we ask all of our guests. The first of which is what advice would you give to 20 year old Gerald knowing what you know now? Um, I would give 20 year old Gerald the advice, uh, work on that, uh, drinking problem. It is a problem. <laughs> Get started on that sooner rather than later. Uh, had a little bit of fun, you know, for a while. Um, I would also just, yeah, work on my financial education, whatever that looked like. I would give him, I know everybody talks, well, we'll talk about books in a minute, but like, yeah, I would, you know, I would certainly give him rich dad, poor dad and tell him, uh, do your analysis, you know, but, but pull the trigger, you know, once, once the time's right. Great advice. And what advice would you give to a new investor who is starting today? Um, similar, you know, just, just trust yourself. You know, there's, it's never going to feel a hundred percent safe. Just, just do a good enough deal. You know, real estate is very forgiving. Feel free to just fall on your face. Today is the, is the best time to, to invest. It's better than it ever was. You have so much support today with Facebook groups and RIA meetings, the internet. I mean, you've got, you're not alone, you know, a a zillion people dumber than you have, (laughs) have, have tried this and done fine. So yeah, trust yourself. That is true. Also great advice. And the last question is what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? I love this book. Uh, it's called the values factor 
John Demartini. Got it right here. Um, yeah, I love this guy. I, I heard him on a podcast somewhere, and it's just kind of about realizing what your values are, what's the most important thing to you. So I don't know. I try to think about the very biggest lever I can pull, you know, so having a good morning and starting off with like, for me, you know, getting up yoga, meditation, these things are going to like guide my day a lot, at least a lot better than it would be if I just kind of got up and ate a bunch of junk food and turned on Netflix or something the first thing. So it's a great, great book. I'm like reading everything that I can find with this guy. I'll check that out. I haven't heard of that one, but I mean, starting off your day, right. Really does make a difference. I found if I, if I get up and exercise first thing in the morning, like before everybody wakes up, the rest of my day is infinitely better because I sweated in the morning. I'm less irritable with other people, Mm. family, clients, colleagues, all of them. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm, and I'm not good at making sure that I do that. Like my three-year-old is in a phase yeah. where she sleeps with us and uh, wake up at four to go do something. And I'm like, oh, but she's so cute and sweet. I'm just going to lay here. And then I won't. Aww. And then I will find myself throughout the day being like, man, I should have, I should have done that because on the days that I do do it, I have no regrets. I'm an infinitely better person. So yeah. doing that, that first morning thing, right. Is totally important. So I think it's hard. Yeah. I don't think culture always encourages like taking care of yourself first. You know, we think to be a good person, you have to take care of everyone else. I think it's nice to be, to, to take care of others, but you're going to do that a lot better if you're in a better position to do that. So yeah, I try to take care of myself at least these days. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Gerald, thank you so, so much for coming on and we'll catch you next time. All right, Avery. Thank you.